my wife and I bought it over in Garland, Texas a year and a half ago for $152,000 is now worth $200,000. And you're just like scratching your head like, why does not everyone do this? <laughs> because it's harder than just clicking buttons. You have to take some initiative. You have to take some risk. You have to be willing to do the hard things in some ways. So definitely you deserve a lot of credit for that. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms, retire when you want, and all that great stuff. My name is Taylor Lote, and thank you for tuning in today. Our guest is Phoenix O'Rourke. Phoenix is a current police officer, a single-family investor, and soon-to-be a multifamily real estate investor. He's a young guy just had his first kid. So congratulations to him there. And we're going to learn about his experience taking advantage of some hands that he's been dealt and really just killing it in single family. I'm really excited for what he's been doing. So without any further ado, Phoenix, welcome to the show. Hey, Taylor. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Happy to talk to you again. So you know, when we first met, you were telling me, and this was years ago, telling me about how you're getting into single families and how you got your initial start. For our listeners, can you tell them about what got you into single family investing? Yeah. So a quick overview of what happened. Back in 2015, my wife and I, we bought our first house here in San Mateo, California. We bought it for 609 and $609,000. We waited a couple of years. And in those two years, I started learning about several podcasts, The Real Estate Guys and Get Rich Education with Keith Weinhold. And realized that maybe owning our own house wasn't the exact thing that we needed to do at that current time. So fast forward to January of 2016. It was a good time in the market here in the Bay Area, California. So we sold it for a nice profit in the mid 800s. And we utilized, my wife and I took all that money and started buying single family homes with it in the Midwest and South. So that's pretty much our story in a nutshell. That's really awesome. And you moved from making an appreciation gain to you got into cash flow. Is that right? And that's awesome. We're all about cash flow here at Passive Wealth Strategies. So what has that been like? Are you buying turnkeys? I mean, you mentioned Keith Weinhold and his show. I mean, that's a great show. Loves real estate guys too. I mean, is that what got, how you got into investing in the Midwest? Yeah, well, it's funny because I actually heard about Keith Weinhold through a coworker, and he actually came from another department. So cops talk a lot. And when he came to our department was that he was supposedly a millionaire. So I'm thinking to myself, why is this guy a millionaire and being a cop at the same time? So one day I just asked him, hey, what do you do? And surprisingly enough, he told me that he was into stocks. So I was like, okay, I'll get into stocks because I want to be a millionaire too. And it's like, well, I actually wouldn't do what I do. I'm actually about to get out of the stock market and go into uh, real estate. You should check out Keith Weinhold, his podcast. So that's how I got led on or turned on to Keith and his show. And then from there, I just listened to every single episode from listening to his episodes. I heard about the real estate guys from there. I heard about Rod Cleef and just kind of branched out and started doing my own research. Robert Kiyosaki, obviously, and read all his books. And then, yeah, so from there, just heard about the turnkey companies, Mid-South Home Buyers and AREI USA over in Texas and some other guys. And yeah, just started going to four different cities, 
or start investing in four different cities and just started building our portfolio slowly but surely. Then after a few houses, I met you over at the Real Estate Guys Secrets of Successful Syndication event. Realized I still wanted to keep on going because at that point, I was a little bit of pause in my life or my wife and I were at a pause and buying houses because we weren't sure exactly if we want to keep on buying uh, turnkeys or buy our own house here in the Bay Area. Luckily, we decided the right thing to do was to keep on buying turnkeys and I think the right move for our family. Absolutely. And I think especially over time in the long run, it's just going to be more and more apparent that that was the right move to make. So certainly applaud you for that. And we were talking before we started recording some of the things that you're doing right now with your portfolio. And I think it's interesting to talk about the experience of someone. You have a pretty extensive experience, I would say, in investing in turnkey real estate. By now, you've got how many are in your portfolio now? I got 12 units, 13 doors. So 11 single family homes and one duplex. That's really awesome. And just to give a little more perspective, how old are you? 29. That's awesome, man. How many 29-year-olds out there can say they own 13 doors? That's great. And again, I applaud you a lot for that. And you were telling me about some of the things that you're up to regarding refinancing and just operating the properties. After you buy it and kind of the honeymoon phase is over of owning your first couple of turnkey rentals, what is that experience like? After buying it and then seeing the the checks come in each month? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it pretty much says it for itself. I mean, I'm not going to lie. When my wife and I started first doing this, we kind of weren't sure if it was like a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme or some type of scam. So we bought three right away. We sold our house here in the Bay Area in January of 16, and we bought our first investment property in January of 16. And then we bought our second one in February of 16 and our third one in March of 16. And so after those three, we're like, okay, we've put 20% down on all these houses. Let's just make sure that this is like a real thing. These houses are in our name and this isn't going to some place in Nicaragua or something like that. And sure enough, the rent checks kept on coming in. We obviously went to the county websites and saw our name there on the title. And we're like, okay, we're pretty sure this is real. So after those three, that's when we hit that pause button real quick and saw you at that Secrets of Successful Syndication event, went there. And that's when we decided like, there's no doubt we need to keep on doing this. This is the real deal. So then we started to plead our money. But yeah, to answer your question is just, you just don't believe it until you do it. And then you see it coming in. And on top of the cash flow coming in, I gave this all my info, the monthly mortgage statements to my tax advisor, and he wrote it off, you know, everything off for me, which was awesome. Seeing three years later now, that first house that I ever bought go from $85,000 to it could sell for about one twenty two now. It's like mind boggling to me that I wish I would have bought more sooner, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But it's an amazing feeling to have. Wow. And it's that key is you're investing for cash flow and then the appreciation that you're making is kind of icing on the cake, right? It sounds like you are looking at it that way. Uh, Absolutely. And you don't even realize it because you're so happy about the cash flow that you're getting the tax benefits at the end of the year. And then all of a sudden you look on Zillow one day and you're like, wow, that house that I bought three years ago was at $85,000. Now you're telling me it's at around 120, 125. A house I, my wife and I bought over in Garland, Texas, a year and a half ago for $152,000 is now worth $200,000. And you're just like scratching your head, like, why does not everyone do this? <laughs> because it's harder than just clicking buttons. You have to take some initiative, you have to take some risk, you have to be willing to do the hard things in some ways. So definitely you deserve a lot of credit for that. 
As far as preparing for the long term, preparing for things like what if you have an AC unit go out in the summer because it is Texas or when your tenant has a problem with the toilet, right? what are they going to do? How do you handle that? Yeah. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not all sunshine and rainbows all the time. I mean, right now, I just was emailing back and forth my property manager in Kansas City about a tenant that broke his lease early, was supposed to stay until one year lease until March. And now he's moving out just, just two days ago on Tuesday and you know, trying to catch up with payments and stuff like that. So don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you buy this house and you can look away and never do anything or have to worry about it ever again. That's not the case. But when you build your portfolio and you have so many units, the other units start taking care of the one down unit every so often. And the other units take care of the AC unit that has like a little bit of a problem one month that needs to get fixed and so on and so forth. So I divvy out all of my properties to property management companies out there. I'm not going to invest or manage all these properties in Memphis, Tennessee, and Kansas City, and Indianapolis, and Texas from California. There's just no way. So they take care of it. I mean, they charge a fee, but it's well worth it and well worth my time and headache and all that. So yeah, I guess it's a low roller coaster, but the highs are much higher than the lows, that's for sure. So in the multifamily world, kind of where I'm coming from, the way we think about working with our property managers is very much that they're the ones that are going to make or break your deal as long as you don't make or break your own deal. But they're running the property, they're managing the renovations, they're putting the right tenants in, all of that. When you first got started, you're not coming from a professional real estate investing background. You're getting started, you're trying to learn these things. Learning how to manage your property manager. What has that been like? Have you learned any hard lessons? If we can be totally open here, have you made any mistakes in that regard that maybe our listeners can no, I've learn never, from? I've make? never made one mistake in my entire investing career. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you learn as you go. You don't know what you don't know until you do something wrong, pretty much, because you don't know what you don't know when you do something right. You just figure that that's how it always goes. So yeah, I mean, for example, when you have a turn, right, someone moves out and property manager sends you a list of things that they think should be taken care of. So for example, one of my properties that just turned recently, or actually, I guess is in the middle of turning right now, they sent a big old list for $2,000 worth of stuff that they needed to be repaired. So first of all, I looked at that list and I saw, wow, okay, all of these are owner charges and none of them are tenant charges. And I see things on the list such as damage to the walls because of the doorknobs or shelves coming off that are like loose and broken. So I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, I don't think I should be paying for that. I didn't break the wall. I didn't make the shelf come off or, or anything like that. So I email them back. Now, going back, first of all, when I first did a turn, I was just like, oh, there's a bill. Here's all the money. And there you go. And I'm like, angry at myself that why is this costing so much? I didn't really think to myself, well, I need to communicate with my property manager. I need to manage my property manager into realizing that I don't want this house to be the spectacular, everything is in perfect condition house. I want it to be operable. I want it to be safe. I want it to be sound. But that doesn't mean I need to go spend $2,000. So fast forward to current time, I email them back and I tell them, okay, thank you for the list. I see that the walls are broken. I don't think I should be charged for that. That should be coming out of the tenant's rent deposit. I see that the shelves are off. I don't understand why you're again charging me. I think that should be part of the uh, tenant who broke it. So it's healthy conversations and emails with your property manager that you have to go through. They sure enough email me back. Hey, sorry about that. We totally missed that. We will charge the tenant for that. And here's an updated list of what your charges are compared to what the tenant's. 
and that 2000 number went down to about 1100 I think it was, and there's $900 saved right there. Then I take that $1,100 and I'm like, okay, what do I need off that list that is going to make it rent ready and make it maybe rent a little bit at or above market value? So they want to repaint all of the walls, all of the doors, this, that, and the other. I'm more of a guy that when people go in to see a house, they're not looking at, I mean, maybe they want fresh paint, sure, but if the paint's okay, that's not a big deal to them. But if there's like a crack in the caulking behind the sink, for example, that's a big deal. So I went ahead and cut that list into half pretty much. So that $2,000 bill went down to about $500, which again, in the long run, yeah, it's 500 bucks, which kind of sucks because you're out of rent check for that month and you're paying $500. But at the same time, you got to remember that these other houses that my wife and I have are covering for that $500 and the mortgage and all that stuff. So it is a lengthy, and I apologize for going on for so long, but you do need to learn how to manage your manager for sure, because they will just assume that you live and you own this investment property. So you must have millions upon millions of dollars and you can just pay for anything which obviously we know is not the case and we want to just manage it to the best we can. So <laughs> That's great. So as far as next steps for you, you and I, we met at the Secrets of Successful Syndication Real Estate Guys event. We're both driving toward that. We're both generally pushing toward being mavericks in apartment investing, if I understand where you're headed as well properly. Kind of where are you now? What's next for you? And how can our listeners learn more about you? Yeah. So my wife and I are at the stage where we hit the pause button on buying turnkey single family homes out of our own budget like we were doing. We're saving up now, trying to get liquid and go for bigger deals. So I joined a mentorship group with Mark Kenny, who runs Think Multifamily out of the Texas, Dallas, Texas area. And I am just trying to educate myself on trying to understand the differences between single family and multifamily, which are a ton, I'm sure as you well know now. And just a whole different process of loans and the way that they're appraised and how you would go about purchasing them with the LOIs and so on and so forth. So I've been in the mentorship for a little over a year now. Still no deals under my belt, but still I'm just taking it slowly. I, like you said, I had a daughter in April, so I'm devoting a lot of my time to her and back to patrol life, whereas before I was undercover for three years. So yeah, it's just a little change in life and just trying to understand the multifamily game and trying not to suffer from paralysis analysis. And I, I tell myself to do what I did when I first started investing, which is just dive in. You don't know what you don't know until you do it and kind of go from there. So starting off, my goal is to start off somewhat slow with around a 50 unit to 80 unit apartment deal, start building relationships to raise money, start building relationships to get deals coming into the email account, building a website and going from there. Great. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Phoenix, what is the best investment you've ever made? That is a good question. I think a lot of people would obviously start out with saying the first property. I mean, that's almost what I want to say right now is the first property that I ever bought for 85000 That's now one hundred and twenty or 25000 But honestly, if I could just tell my younger me, like the 21-year-old once straight out of college, just listen and read every single book, podcast, so on and so forth to enhance your knowledge, to know what you're talking about, to know how to take action. So knowledge, I would say, the answer to that one. Great answer. What is the worst investment you've ever made? Oh, man. Not doing due diligence on one of my turnkey providers and the guy who did the flip and put the tenant in there and just having success with the first guy. So just trusting that the entire process, turnkey process was the same with everybody. 
and not doing my homework. So again, I guess it comes down to knowledge, <laughs> I guess, mm-hmm. where I didn't know what I was doing and just trusted somebody. So I forget who says it, but it's basically trust what the person's telling you, but make sure you confirm it. Sure. I think that was Ronald Reagan regarding the Soviets in the 80s. We're going to trust but verify that they're de-escalating if I'm getting my history right. But it sounds like if I'm hearing correctly, you had a good one or couple turnkey transactions with one particular provider, and then you bought another deal from someone else, and you made the assumption that everyone was equally reputable, and that was not the case. That is exactly right, my friend. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So this last question is my favorite question out of all these three. What is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? Relationships, relationships, relationships. 100%. I mean, you can have deals come into your mailbox and you can analyze deals all day, every day, and the numbers are numbers. And unless you know somebody personally, I mean, it doesn't have to be you fly out from New York or California or Texas to go meet with a broker in Indianapolis. But you get on the phone with him or you get on the phone with the turnkey providers, you talk to them, you're respectful, and then you make sure that, I don't know how to say this exactly, but you basically build a trust. You build almost what, almost a friendship to where you can trust them. And therefore, you can kind of cater your investments towards what fits you or and your family the best. I don't even know if that answers your question. I think it's a very important answer because real estate especially... It's definitely a people business, whether you're looking for service providers as you are in one capacity or another, building relationships with investors, which you also mentioned is a part of your future in apartment investing. So yeah, absolutely. I think they are relationships are very important. Now, as far as wrapping up our conversation here, Is there anything that you'd like to share with the audience that we haven't touched on, either your experience with turnkey investing or as you're getting into the apartment game, your experience there? Yeah, I mean, I think I said it already, but I'll just reemphasize, you know, you got to take action for 100%. I mean, I've heard it in thousands of podcasts that I listen to and read about. And if you don't take the action, if you just sit behind a computer all day or put your earphones on and listen to books all day, it is really good. You do become very knowledgeable. But it is so true when they say that unless you do something, you're not going to learn as fast. So whether that even means being a passive investor in somebody's deal that say someone's buying an apartment complex for 100 units and you just invest passively, you're still going to learn a lot by doing that. You get all the documents, you'll see your monthly payments come in and you'll kind of see how the process goes. But if you never do it, you'll never know. Same thing goes for single family. If you never buy a single family house, then you're never going to really know how the process works and if it's for you or not. Worst case scenario is you buy one single family house for, I don't know, $65,000, you put 20% down. I'm not good at math, but that's going to be around seventeen, dollars $19,000 after closing costs and everything else. And then you're like, hey, this isn't for me. I need to do something else. Well, then you wait a year or whatever, you buy it or you sell it to another investor, you get all your money back. You might take a small little hit, but you might not because of the equity that you gain. And then you go from there. But you're never going to learn unless you do. That's the biggest thing that I've taken away from this entire process. Words of wisdom. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more about turnkey investing or keep in touch with you as you drive headlong into apartments? Or maybe if they want to be an undercover cop in their future life. Either way, give me a call or uh, email me. I'm more than happy to talk to any of your listeners. You can email me at phoenix, it's P-H-O-E-N-I-X, 
at prosperrei.com. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-R-E-I.com. Or you can call me or text message me, whatever you feel comfortable with, 650-766-6308. That's my personal cell phone number. So I am a cop. I am uh, working on the West Coast. So I'm up till about 2 a.m. my time. So if you're in like New York listening to this and you're like, oh, I get up at 4.30 to go to work, Hit me up. I'll be awake at 1.30, 4.30 your time, and we can talk. <laughs> but yeah, either way, I'd love to talk to anybody that has some questions. Well, Phoenix, it's been great talking to you again. It's been a little while since we chatted. I'm really confident that the listeners, anyone who's interested in, in Turnkey, has really learned a lot today, and I certainly encourage them to reach out to you. Cops aren't all bad guys. You're one of the good ones, so definitely uh, suggest they send you an email, shoot you a text, give you a call, anything like that. For now, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a comment on iTunes. That's a big help. If you know anyone that would benefit from the information we're providing here, whether about single-family turnkeys or any of the other types of investing that we talk about, send them a link, bring them into the fold, bring them onto our team so they can learn more about passive investing. For now, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and I'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.